Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontario's education workers could be off the job on Monday. Clearing up confusion and myths about vaccines. Should Ontario bars be allowed to sell booze during World Cup games at 5 in the morning? Bills Elvis is up for the NFL's Fan of the Year award. The house from A Christmas Story is on the block. And we laugh along with Black Zeus. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. There are kindergarten classes that don't have a DECE in them, which is the cornerstone of the play-based learning structure that we have. We need an early childhood educator in every single class in this province. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That is the voice of Laura Walton, CUPE representative in that union. As you probably heard by now, which represents 55,000 education workers in this province, has filed strike notice again two weeks after their last walkout ended after talks with the province broke down once again. So what happens now? Colin DeMello is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Colin, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, The clock is ticking towards yet another strike. How did we get to this spot again? Well, that is a bit of a head-scratcher because, uh, you know, one would have thought that after this massive escalation between the two sides that you know, both sides would have thought, okay, well, you know, maybe we've put the province through enough. Maybe it's time to just, you know, hunker back at the bargaining table uh, and, and negotiate a settlement. Uh, but, but it seems like QP has kind of had enough. They, they say that they've had uh, good progress and they found middle ground with the province when it comes to uh, the actual wage element of what they're asking for. But now they're looking for you know, the other side of things. They wanted, and they've been asking from this from the very beginning, uh, they wanted additional resources in classrooms. So additional custodians, EAs, uh, ECEs, librarians, uh, and as well as, you know, the front uh, staff, uh, the, the clerical staff in the front office. They want additional staff members now as part of the union and in these schools. And now that seems to be the red line that they're drawing the line of the Senate. The provincial government has moved on the wage front. Is there some wiggle room in terms of now these other pieces to the puzzle? Well, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. We don't know from the Ford government's perspective. I mean, they always say that historically they have been spending a lot in education and they have been, you know, adding resources to classrooms. A lot of this is going to be spin that you're going to be hearing over the next couple of days. So what is true and what is not is really difficult to tell. I mean, there are, we've been hearing anecdotally from some parents that there isn't, you know, in a junior kindergarten classroom, as an example, an early childhood educator along with a teacher. It might be some classrooms that don't have that easy. ECE, while other classrooms might have that ECE. It really would depend from school board to school board. At the end of the day, though, I think what the union is trying to do here is trying to say, listen, you know, they have the ultimate leverage here because the government blinked, because the government backed down on its controversial legislation and, you know, withdrew that legislation completely. I feel like the government um, is on its you know, back foot here a little bit when these negotiations and QP seems to recognize that, which is why they might be trying to extract now the maximum amount from the government. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Colin DeMello, Queens Park Bureau Chief for Global News. We're talking about strike notice once again being given by QP's 55,000 education workers, the union that represents those workers. And now as of Monday, they could potentially walk off the job, which here in Hamilton would mean some school closures. Certainly from the Catholic board, they've already said that they will be closing schools 
schools. Hamilton's public board will uh, make that announcement sometime today. Uh, Colin, you mentioned the province is uh, sort of on the back foot in these negotiations. There is going to be a tipping point, however, if things don't go the way that the public wants them to go. Can you talk about that? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's all of this comes down to parents and how they feel and what they're willing to tolerate. You know, two days in early November of a, of a strike, the Friday and the Monday that we had, uh, it, it caused a lot of disruption. But parents seem to be on the side of the union. They blame the Ford government specifically for, uh, you know, who was causing these strikes because of the legislation brought forward by the Ford government. And so this time around, though, if the government can kind of position itself as being the more reasonable one, that might sway a few more parents onto their side. And we've been hearing from the education minister that you know they made multiple contract offers to the union, all of which were rejected. In fact, the government had initially wanted to have a two-tier pay system. The union did not want that, so the government eliminated that from the contract. Now they're offering a flat dollar an hour increase for all members of CUPE. Um, you know, they've said that they've increased their offer by $300 million. And, and they say every time they kind of make these overtures to the union, the union keeps rejecting it. The union says what the government is offering is not enough. So at this point, it'll come down to at some point, who do you continue to believe and who do you side with as a parent? Because ultimately, it's the parents that have to uh, you know, find childcare, work from home, try to figure out how to, you know, help your kid with their iPad so that they can uh, log into remote learning. That all falls onto the parent itself. And if the parents are unhappy with how that works out, well, you know, QP might then be overplaying its hand a bit. Education Minister Stephen Lecce will join CHML's Bill Kelly show after the news at 9, and we will also hear from National CUPE President Mike Hancock after the news at 9.30, so stay tuned for that. Colin, what is next? Are more talks being planned today over the next couple of days? Yeah, this is all going through a mediator. So the mediator will dictate when the next negotiations will happen. Uh, we're expecting them to happen, not necessarily within this week itself, but uh, perhaps over the weekend. And of course, you know, when these negotiations uh, come down to the wire, like all contract negotiations, regardless of what union it is, they all come down to, you know, the very last minute on the very last day. And I should mention, so the, the date that they've set to go on strike is next Monday, November 21st. November 20th is actually the premier's birthday. So I think that could be a really interesting kind of uh, situation, um, you know, to think about uh, either the premier on his birthday is willing to give QP a big present or QP gives the premier a present on his birthday and decides to call off the strike. He might just give himself a birthday present with one of his homemade cheesecakes. We'll have to wait till then. Colin, appreciate your time today. Thanks for the excellent insight and analysis as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is Colin DeMello, Queens Park Bureau Chief at Global News. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we know there is a triple threat right now in our society, and so much so that the uh, heightened awareness around RSV, influenza, COVID-19 still is not alleviating the major strain that our, especially pediatric hospitals, are enduring across this province. And and to that end, I mean, we've been through this pandemic for nearly three years now. There is still, amazingly so, some confusion 
some myths and myths truths about vaccines. So here to clear the air, to set the record straight, is Shelley Datani, the Vice President, Pharmacy Affairs, Neighborhood Pharmacy Association of Canada, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Shelley, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Before we get to some of these uh, misconceptions, I want to ask you about your thoughts on this perfect storm we're seeing, COVID, RSV, influenza. What's coming to mind for you? Sure, it definitely is. I mean, we were calling this a twindemic a few years ago, and now people are, are talking about triple demic. It's it's very frightening. The healthcare system is is really fragile. There's lots of virus circulating. There's emergency rooms and hospitals that are full. Uh, I think it is a very very uh, challenging time for us. Vaccine rates are also lagging. Whether it comes to COVID, we don't quite have the numbers for the flu, although we do know it's an early influenza season here in Hamilton and in Ontario. Your your mind frame when it comes to the lagging rates that we're seeing when it comes to getting uh, the jab. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think people with every booster that we've seen, we've seen vaccine rates continue to lag. And I would just tell you as as a pharmacist and, um, you know, just as a Canadian, that it's absolutely a critical time to make sure that you get vaccinated. Vaccines are the single best thing you can do uh, to protect yourself against COVID and other viruses. Shelley Detani is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, VP Pharmacy Affairs, Neighbourhood Pharmacy Association of Canada, as you just heard, a pharmacist as well. So you know what you're talking about. So let's get to some of these common vaccine misconceptions. One of them being that, uh, you know, COVID is no worse than the common cold. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that is a myth. I mean, I think if it wasn't for vaccination, we would be seeing people uh, as we did in the early days, uh, be a lot worse. We're seeing less severe outcomes from COVID now because the vaccines are working. So it's really important if we want to continue not to see people get really sick and get into hospital, you, you probably remember the early days of 2020, we need to continue to uh, protect ourselves with the boosters, with the bivalents that are coming out uh, so that we can get protected. Lots of new variants circulating. It's it's really important to uh, keep getting vaccinated. Some people are thinking that, geez, if I get a COVID booster and a flu shot, that's going to be too much for me to take. Yeah, it's actually a good idea to get a COVID booster and a flu shot at the same time that the NACI, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, everybody knows who NACI is now actually gave the thumbs up to that. Um, it's easier you come in once you can get them, you know, in different arms in the same arm. Um, and that way you get protected faster. Because as you said, uh, the flu season is going to be pretty bad this year, we're already seeing a lot of cases and then COVID continues. So absolutely safe to get them at the same time. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Shelley Datani, VP Pharmacy Affairs at Neighborhood Pharmacy Association of Canada, also a pharmacist. Uh, we're talking about some common vaccine misconceptions. And here's another one that the current bivalent variant doesn't do enough to protect us from it. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. The the back the bivalent vaccines that are out now give us really broad protection against COVID. So they give us a more robust immune response than the monovalent vaccines that were originally out. So really important to, again, get a bivalent. It doesn't matter which bivalent you get. Uh, both of them that are currently approved in Canada are seen as equally effective. Uh, no real evidence that one is better than the other. So if you're at your pharmacy or at 
at your doctor's office, take the first bivalent uh, that's offered to you and you will get broader protection. Last one, and we only have about 40 seconds. Vaccines don't work because everyone's just getting COVID anyways. Yeah, no, vaccines definitely work. They are, uh, they give you again that the broadest and the best defense against disease. So absolutely get vaccinated. Shelly, awesome stuff. Thanks for dispelling some of our myths for our listeners today and enjoy your day. Happy to do it. You too. That is Shelly Detani, pharmacist and vice president of pharmacy affairs at the Neighborhood Pharmacy Association of Canada. If you haven't gotten your flu shot, if you haven't gotten your bivalent or any of the number of boosters, go out and get it. I'm encouraging you to do so. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Here is the planet's ultimate game. The final of the 21st Football World Cup. Flicked in by Griezmann and flicked on! And France take the lead in the World Cup final! The FIFA World Cup will kick off this Sunday in Qatar. 32 nations, including Canada, for the first time since 1986, will be trying to hoist soccer's golden prize. This tournament, as you probably know, is a mega moneymaker for sponsors. But at least one company, and we'll get to this in a few minutes with our guest, is reaching for a red card, and we'll tell you why. Moshe Lander is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Moshe, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Let's talk about the big business that is the World Cup. From an economic impact, there's an impact around the world, not just for the host city or the host country. For sure. It's it's the most watched event, uh, even more than the Olympics, even more than the Super Bowl. Uh, and because, like you said, there's 32 countries, uh, which is uh, expanding next cycle to 48 countries. Uh, it, it involves a large part of the world. I mean, there's a reason it's called the World Cup. And so even if your country isn't necessarily participating, a neighboring country probably is. And soccer is one of those sports that uh, is the world sport much more so than anything that we offer in North America. And there's a, a difference between the Olympics, which includes many more nations. I mean, we're into the hundreds, but uh, it, it's really fractured in terms of fandom because there's so many different sports. It is. And it doesn't run as long either, right? The Olympics is a two-week event. This is an event that's going to run for essentially a month. Uh, so uh, it, it also has more uh, individual events. So where you were saying, you know, the Olympics has a, a whole bunch of different competitions, uh, you, you know, 32 teams playing uh, round robin is going to generate a lot of matches. And so we're going to see wall-to-wall pretty much for uh two weeks nothing but soccer on tv and so that creates a whole bunch of additional uh programming as well right pre-game post-game uh highlights uh podcasts are now being developed that are just going to cover world cups so uh it, it creates this monster uh of of uh, programming that goes well beyond then just the number of games itself our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Moshe Lander, Senior Economics Lecturer at Concordia University. We're talking about the big business that is the FIFA World Cup, which kicks off in Qatar this Sunday. Budweiser, the king of beers, has been moved to less visible locations in Qatar. They're very strict with alcohol. It's not banned there, but they're strict in terms of where they can set up. The brewery obviously is not happy because this is going to impact the bottom line, I would, I would guess. Yeah, Budweiser spends about $75 million American relating to the World Cup, uh, and they have a relationship with FIFA that goes back almost 40 years. I, I think the last time that Canada was in the World Cup is around the time that uh, Budweiser got involved, not saying that that's causal. Um, recently, they were told 
that their beer tents are going to be relegated to kind of second uh, best locations. Uh, but this is like a last minute decision. And it appears that it's coming from the Qatari royal family uh, rather than FIFA itself. And so this has Budweiser infuriated that uh, they've known that they were going to host the World Cup for a decade. And now less than a week before the event, they decide this is an issue. Uh, it, it does have them upset. And of course, uh, it is going to affect then the ability for people to get their alcohol on in what's essentially a dry country. There is also a uh, booze-related um, story of interest closer to home. Bars in Ontario, especially many of those in the Toronto area, want to be able to serve booze while the games are on. Now, some of those games are starting as early as 5 in the morning, others at around 8. They're hoping to serve alcohol before 9, which right now is against that city's bylaw. What kind of an impact could we see here? Well, uh, I mean, even if you allow for alcohol at that time of day, I know there's people that would take advantage of it. Uh, but how much alcohol can we really be selling uh, on a Monday morning at 5 a.m.? So, you know, I, I think that each locale has the ability to change their laws to, to alcohol sales. I think that you'll see that there's a lot more flexibility that's going to be introduced, probably on the realization that we're not going to be dealing with public drunkenness at nine in the morning. Uh, in many cases, the weekends might be something different, but uh, you know, the, the fact is that alcohol does go with the world cup as Budweiser is uh, living proof. And so, you know, if you want to go to the local pub and catch these games and share the experience uh, you know, a pint or two might need to be poured. And so uh, I, I think it's good for the local businesses that especially been suffering from the last couple of years, that if they at least have the option to sell alcohol, uh, I, I don't think that it's going to do much harm in, in as opposed to if the games were at 5 or 8 o'clock at night, right? Yeah, it'd be a much different story. I'm sure some of these bars and pubs will have, I don't know, some kind of uh, you know coffee-related uh, marketing plan that they're going to employ during the World Cup. It'll be interesting to see. Moshe, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for joining us this morning. Anytime. That is Moshe Landers, Senior Economics Lecturer, Concordia University, as we chat about the World Cup kicking off this Sunday in Qatar, Canada. Of course, is in this tournament for the first time since 1986. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A diehard fan of the Buffalo Bills. Oh, that wild and wacky fan base just across the border that loves their team no matter what. Whether they're on a crazy winning streak or they're losing four Super Bowls in a row. And I know I hate to bring that up. With uh, We're going to bring them on the air in a couple seconds. But this fan base is one of the most incredible fan bases in the National Football League. And so if you are the fan of the year in Bill's Mafia, I mean, you're doing something right. And this guy has been doing something right for eons. His name is John Lang, a.k.a. Bill's Elvis. And he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. John, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Bill's Mafia is legendary. What does it mean to be the Bill's Fan of the Year here in 2022? It's pretty amazing. I was totally, totally surprised by it. And to have all the crazy, great, great Bills fans that do so much, so much good and so many great things, it's really an honor. It really is. This also means that you're going to be going to the Super Bowl in Arizona in February. You're going to go to the NFL Honors Award Show, and you could be crowned the NFL Fan of the Year. What would that mean? <laughs> That's, uh, it's crazy to think about. It really is. But 
you know, like I say, with all the uh, the great Bills Mafia fans that do so much good and there's so much generosity throughout the fan base and and throughout the NFL as well, it, it really means a lot. It really does. This comes in a, a pretty cool year as well because the Bills, I know they've they've struggled over the last couple of games, but they're amongst, if not the Super Bowl favorites. So can you can you imagine, John? Being in Arizona, you're the fan of the year, and and the Bills finally crack the code and win the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, I want to be the leader of that parade, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How did this Elvis thing all start? Uh, it was just kind of a goofy bet to see if I could get on TV, and uh, it, it really worked. <laughs> Painted up an old guitar, put like squish the fish on it and go Bills, and they had me on the broadcast and they had me on ESPN that week. And, you know, Chris Berman was making fun of me. And then they had me in the newspaper and my whole section they they're bugging me. They said, this is great. You got to keep doing it. You got to do it again. So I did. And it's just kind of grew out of that. Apart from, you know, winning superstardom among, you know, fans everywhere. Do you remember what the bet was? <laughs> it was a box of cigars. Actually, That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What what so did your it worked. Uh, what did your family and friends think about all this? Oh, uh, they they think it's a riot. Yeah, I mean, now I got my daughter that goes with me, and she's she's wackier than I am. I think so. Uh, it's it's all great. It really is. So it runs in the family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John Lang is our guest. He's the 2022 Bills Fan of the Year, known as Bills Elvis. He goes to each and every game dressed up as Elvis, carries in a guitar. Uh, do you still bring the guitar? And are there issues bringing a guitar into the stadium? Yeah, um, I bring the guitar in every week, and there's typically something different painted on it every week, like a theme for the week. And uh, I, I don't have an issue with it, I guess, according to what I'm told. Uh, security has a briefing before the season and they're told to let me in with it because I'm grandfather clawed in through like the, uh, the hall of fame. So, wow, that is awesome. Do you take your show on the road as well? <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, I've done a few away games. Yeah. I, you know, there's, there's places I like and places I don't like, you know, like I've been to Philly and I won't go back there. They were, they were kind of mean, <laughs> needless to say, uh, I've been to Green Bay, and I love that. I would always go back to Lambeau. The fans there were fantastic. So, I mean, there's different places. You know, I'd, uh, uh, I pick and choose, I should say. We're talking with uh, John Lang. He's the 2022 Bills Fan of the Year, known as Bills Elvis. He goes to each and every game dressed up like the king of rock and roll. He's got his guitar, and uh, he is uh, hooting and hollering and cheering on the Buffalo Bills. As you know, I'm sure you've been watching the weather forecast, John. Uh, upwards of 70 inches of snow is expected to fall in like a 24-hour period just south of Buffalo this coming weekend. Uh, what comes to mind when you when you think this this could be five feet of snow? Yeah, I'll have my uh, Under Armour 4 on for sure, as well as uh, <laughs> some boots probably. And Yeah, I, you know, it's like I wear the hand warmers and the feet warmer things, and I, I don't know, I, I typically stay okay. You know, yeah, it gets cold, but. Hey, we're tough over here. We can take it. It's shaping up to be potentially one of the most extreme snowstorms in U.S. history. Do you expect the game to go on? Uh, I hope so. I really do. I know I've heard a few rumors that they're saying it might get changed or might get switched. And I don't know. It's, it's part of 
being in the Bills Mafia and, you know, taking on the weather and enjoying it and living with it. And that's, uh, and that's how we roll over here. And I, I don't know. I hope it goes on. I really, truly do. Uh, you've had uh, you've had the pleasure of watching some iconic moments in in Bill's history. Uh, we probably know what the lowest moment was. Do, what would be the highest moment, the all time highlight of being a Bills fan and watching this team? Jeez, I know there's been so many. It's hard to narrow it down. There's so many great games through the years. You know, the comeback game in '93 was amazing. With um, you know, against the Oilers, that was probably my favorite and, and craziest game i've ever seen but there's just been been so many through the years it's 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 great being a bills fan it really is i'd imagine you stayed until the end of that oilers comeback game uh yeah it was funny because i had a little cooler beer at my feet when you know back in those days you could bring in about anything and you know my wife and i had a cooler beer and i said oh when this beer's done we're out of here and next thing you know the momentum of the game changed and I, i'm certainly glad i stayed that's for sure yeah, that's an iconic comeback for sure. John, really appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations on this, and good luck when it comes to being the NFL Fan of the Year in Arizona in February. Well, thank you so much. I think I need to get over to a Tiger Cat game there, too. So You are always welcome. <laughs> thanks, John. Have a good one. All right, well, thanks. Thanks again. That's you too. John, that's John Lang. He is the 2022 Bills Fan of the Year, also known as Bills Elvis, and he was told this uh, a few days ago, and he was quite surprised, and I'm not sure why. I guess, I don't know, maybe he wasn't expecting it. But he's done so much for the franchise in terms of, you know, just spreading the word, having fun, um, making light of, you know, dressing up as Elvis and taking a guitar <laughs> to a football game. Uh, I mean, who does that? Well, a guy like John Lang does. Uh, by the way, this is the third year of the NFL Fan of the Year program. This is great because, you know, it's 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 what it's what makes sporting events. It's the fans. Without the fans, I'm not sure these players would be on the field or on the ice or whatever the case is. And so as uh, the Bills nominee, he's going to be in Arizona for the Super Bowl in February. He'll attend the NFL Honors Show, which is their award show. And who knows? John might be the NFL Fan of the Year. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. That is part of the iconic 1983 Christmas classic, A Christmas Story, one of my all-time faves. It might just be my all-time fave. Well, there's a special story surrounding this movie and this franchise, if you will, because now there is a sequel that is being shown, and you can watch it. The house that is featured in this Christmas classic is now up for sale. It's in Cleveland, so if you're in the market to buy a home and really a uh, uh, um, a campus is what it is, because it's not just a home, there's other things on this property, uh, well, you'll probably have to pony up. And we'll get into this with our next guest here. His name is Tyler Schwartz. He's the owner of RetroFestive.ca and the director of the documentary Road Trip for Ralphie. And Tyler joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tyler, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. We're doing great. So this home in Cleveland is up for sale. Are you in the market to buy it? <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm sure it's a pretty penny. 
We've been there many times over the years. I've gotten to know the owner, uh, Brian Jones, who is selling it currently. Um, and it's a, it's really a, a great story of how this house came to be and the rise of a franchise. Um, so, yeah, Brian's looking to move on. I wish I could be the next, uh, the next owner of the house, but I don't think I have the money. Uh, he bought it in 2004, I believe the year was, for about $150,000. The average price in this area apparently is like 136, which is hard to believe. But this is going to go for much higher because it's on a big piece of land and there's other buildings on this property. Tell us about it. Yeah, he's he's actually really spent the last, I guess it's maybe 15 years or so, uh, accumulating properties in the neighborhood. He started uh, by buying Ralphie's house off of eBay famously in 2000 and what do we say, four. Mm-hmm. Um, it took him two years to kind of renovate it and make it look uh, just like it did in the movie again. It looked quite different at the time, and no one really had the vision that he did when he saw the the house up for sale on eBay, but he thought to himself, you know what, this could be a tourist attraction. And so he uh, famously bought it uh, on his credit cards, informed his wife about it, uh, who was none too pleased, but in the end, uh, it turned out to be quite fortunate, and he spent, uh, like I said, the last 15 years um, buying other properties in the neighborhood, and now there's a gift shop and a museum, and uh, and room to grow, Airbnbs. So it's it's been quite the journey for him. Um, and I think he's just looking to move on to other adventures. And uh, so if if you got the money, uh, it's a great opportunity. Uh, he's certainly going to cash in because what uh, realtors are suggesting is this property is going to go for about seven figures. Yeah, I uh, I can certainly see that uh, because one thing they don't talk about is that it also includes the online retail operation that he's built uh, selling leg lamps across the the U.S. and really across the world, and and not just leg lamps, other things as well. And uh, so it's all part of the part and parcel of this package. Um, I'm not sure if he's got a specific dollar uh, number in mind. I'm sure it will be seven figures. I think he's looking to um, see who comes knocking at the door with the right offer. Tyler Schwartz is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tyler is the owner of RetroFestive.ca and the director of the documentary Road Trip for Ralphie. Tell us about the dock and the things you got to see and do when you visited the home. Yeah, you know what? It it was around the time that uh, Brian bought this house on eBay back in uh, 2004 and was uh, renovating it into a tourist attraction. I started following his adventures and and I, real, I realized that so much of the movie had been filmed in Canada, and people just weren't really talking about that. And so my wife and I, uh, well, she was my fiance at the time, we decided to make a little documentary and visit the places in St. Catharines and Toronto where the movie was filmed here. And so that turned into a, a documentary called Road Trip for Ralphie. And, um, it, yeah, it was great. We were there for opening day of the Christmas Story House in uh, 2006. We were first in line, and um, we tracked down where the Chop Suey Palace was in Toronto. We went to the school in St. Catharines, and so it was a real adventure. We even discovered all the costumes that were used in the movie. Uh, They were still in a warehouse in Toronto, and uh, we introduced them to the Christmas Story House in Cleveland, and that's where they're on display now. Did it seem surreal? Was the house bigger or smaller than you expected it Uh, to be? Well, yes, it definitely was surreal. I would say um, smaller, although it's important to note that 
you know, the inside was never actually used in the film. It was uh, the the interiors were shot on a, a soundstage in Scarborough, actually. <laughs> um, so what they did was they just recreated the soundstage interiors in the house in Cleveland, and they did a pretty good job of faithfully recreating it. And so, yeah, I mean, it was. I'd say the most interesting thing about the whole experience was meeting the fans of the movie. And in the United States, boy, these people are fervent fans. And uh, just being there that day, and in the years to follow, they've had conventions and things like that. Um, it's it's amazing how dedicated people are to this movie. We're talking about the house that is featured in the holiday classic A Christmas Story is now for sale and our guest is Tyler Schwartz, the owner of RetroFestive.ca and the director of the documentary Road Trip for Ralphie. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. There's now a sequel to this movie. It's called A Christmas Story Christmas and it stars Peter Billingsley, who's Ralphie, who's now the dad in this movie and it drops actually today on HBO Max. What are you expecting to see? Well, I got up early today and watched it. Did you, Rick? I did not. No, it's on. It's on the list. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it around oh, maybe two a.m. And, and in Canada, you can find it on Crave. Uh, I was surprised actually when I turned on Crave and uh, I had to go searching for it. It wasn't in the holiday movie section. It wasn't in the trending now section. I had to literally search a Christmas story, but there it was. It popped up, uh, and I, I watched uh, at least the first half of it, and it was it was very charming. It um, you know, like most of these sequels, it probably doesn't uh, hold a candle to the original. But I would say this one has heart, and it's uh, certainly a stronger um, showing than some of the other sequels they've tried to do with mm-hmm. this movie, including the one in 1994 and the one in 2012, which a lot of people have forgotten about, and uh, rightfully so. But this one is great. Ralphie's grown up, and he has a family of his own, and uh, it's all the adventures of getting the the gang back together again in home in Indiana. Last one for you. How many times have you seen the original A Christmas Story? Oh, dozens, actually. And and I'm going to be seeing it again with my kids this weekend. Um, if people are interested, film.ca cinemas in Oakville is showing A Christmas Story on the big screen after the Santa Claus Parade in Oakville. I think it's uh, there's several showings, but it's they start around 10 a.m. So if you want to come out and see the movie on the big screen, Film.ca Cinemas in Oakville is where it's at this weekend. And uh, there's nothing quite like watching it with an audience. There's no doubt about that. Tyler, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the uh, the theater this weekend. Thanks. That is Tyler Schwartz, owner of RetroFestive.ca and the director of the documentary Road Trip for Ralphie. Yes, A Christmas Story Christmas, the sequel is, as Tyler mentioned, on Crave or on HBO Max if you have that as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Yo, it's Black Zeus. I started comedy 11 years ago. I wasn't good for a very long time. Set after set after set, I bombed. I sucked. I got good. 11 years in the game. My first comedy album... Black Zoo self-portrait. Black Zoo self-portrait. Welcome back to Good Morning Black Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Last go round here on GMH. An Adam Sandler-approved comedian is going to be performing at the Zoetic here in Hamilton this Saturday night at 8 for a live comedy special taping. Goes by the name Black Zeus. His real name is Mike Demissi, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, a.k.a. Black Zeus, how are you? 
What's going on, my man? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm fantastic. Uh, how did Black Zeus uh, become born? Well, I'm pretty sure I got punked because my parents are both African, but I was born in Greece, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I really have nothing more to go off of than that. I've asked my parents every year of my life, and they still don't have an answer for me. <laughs> I love the name. It is awesome. Tell us about this special taping coming up on Saturday. Well, I have been doing comedy for 11 years. I started in Hamilton. Uh, I had to move away for a bit because the entire entertainment scene is in the in, like, Toronto area. But I'm back now. I am better than I've ever been. And I'm recording my first one-hour live comedy special at the Zoetic. I decided to do a theater in Hamilton because this is my roots. This is where I started. And I feel like this is where I'm going to launch to the world from. Yeah, after 11 years in the game, as you said in, in our opening bit here, you're returning to where it all started here in Hamilton. Where else have you performed, and how has all these experiences uh, molded what you're bringing to the stage? Right now, I have pretty much stuck within the borders of Canada. I've done a couple gigs on the other side in the States, but it has mostly been uh, Canadian performances in southern Ontario. But like I said, like this is this is really my time to to push to the next level. It's like I'm at the point you mentioned earlier. It's like Adam Sandler got to see me, and like that was kind of a, a kick in the butt. You know, it's like if I'm not gonna do all the things that I've envisioned that I can do now, then when am I going to? You know, Adam Sandler approved. Is that like Bombler approved? What does that mean? <laughs> well. I was at a comedy club in Toronto. I was getting ready to perform. I was about 30 to 40 seconds from going on stage. Uh, literally, the host is about to call my name. And then in, in the doorway, I just see somebody walk in wearing basketball shorts. It, it, I was like, this is odd. And I look, and it's Adam Sandler. And I start shaking. I, I'm like drinking my water, and it's visibly moving. I'm like nervous. But I go up. I do my set. And it was about 15 minutes. The comics told me he didn't look at his phone once. I had him belly rolling. And then when I got off stage... He actually approached me and told me that I was amazing, that he loved my stuff, not to quit. And by the end of the night before he left, he told me he loved me. So that is an Adam Sandler approval in my in my books. Yeah, I, I'll take that in a heartbeat for sure. Uh, Adam Sandler approved comedian Black Zeus is going to be performing at the Zoetic in Hamilton Saturday night at 8 for a live comedy special taping. You can get your tickets www.akablackzeus.com. How would you describe your comedy set? Uh, a mixture of goofy and philosophical, because that is my personality in its entirety. I can I can switch from poop jokes to like really profound philosophical life talks within a heartbeat. And you might look at me and blink twice, but it'll make sense in the end, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get your start? Why'd you get into comedy? Honestly, car accident. Really? Uh, yeah, I got into a car accident at around the age of 22. Now, comedy has pretty, outside of my parents, when I, I'm just strictly talking media right now, but comedy has been the one thing that I've watched constantly from infancy to now. And uh, the car accident just kind of gave me the right perspective to really just go for my dreams and, and to not live a life that I'm not happy with. You know, live regret-free is, is really the thing. So I started improv shortly after my car accident when I was uh, like more uh, able-bodied again and uh, improv was was I started at the staircase theater in Hamilton but the improv wasn't hitting all the the right notes for me and then I found that they had a stand-up comedy show at the staircase so I started or I tried my hand at that and from the first set it was over like I knew I had found exactly what my calling was and uh, 11 years later it's time to 
to actually put something on film. So this car crash sounded like it was bad enough for you to have this life-altering aha moment to say, what am I doing with my life? Absolutely. It wasn't life-threatening, but I did go unconscious. And when you, when you do that and you wake up with gun smoke in a car, it'll give you a perspective shift in life. You know, you, you kind of take less things for granted and start living. Uh, at least for me, I started living a fuller life is what it feels like. I'm, I'm so blessed. Mike Demisi, a.k.a. Black Zeus, is going to perform at the Zoetic in Hamilton on Concession Street this Saturday night at 8 for a live comedy special taping. And you can be there. Get your tickets, www.akablackzeus.com. Mike, appreciate the time. Best of luck with the show on Saturday. Much love. Thank you so much. That's Mike Demisi, a.k.a. Black Zeus. Again, www.akablackzeus.com. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic show. Mike seems to be raring to go here back in Hamilton. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.